We have a lot of rooted, deeply rooted issues in education. Who get centered as experts, whose voices we get to hear. And realizing that I do have biases, whether I don't or not, we all do. We start talking so much about it and so loudly, but then we start muffling the voices of the people who have actually experienced it. I'm Kelly Jackson, owner of the Simply Organized Teacher and host of the podcast Simply Teach. What things do we as educators need to be aware of? What things do we need to be doing or consuming so that we can be creating the best possible learning environments for all of our students, especially our students of color? That's what this Racism in Education series is all about. Practical things that we can be doing as educators to educate ourselves, educate our students, and make changes that will last for generations to come. No matter where you are on this journey, you're welcome here. Welcome to the fourth episode in this Racism in Education series. Today I'm talking with Sarah and Beth, the ladies from the Pantsuit Politics podcast, and I have to tell you, I was so excited to talk with them. As somebody who grew up having no interest in politics, their podcast slowly but surely helped me to understand some of that political jargon. I started listening to them on our first flight, or one of our first flights, over here to Germany, and their podcast has been an important way in which I've stayed connected with things going on back home while living abroad. I'm grateful for their wisdom, their insight, and the way they model political conversations that challenge you instead of shame you, which we could all use some more of that, right? You've probably heard me mention them a time or two in my emails, and I also talked about their book in my Top Books of 2020 episode. This conversation was really important for me to include in this series because while we can certainly be doing things in our schools and our districts and in our classrooms, voting is also a really important way we can affect change on racism on the broader level. Sarah and Beth give us some practical things that we as educators need to be thinking about when you go to the voting booths this November or hopefully sooner if your state has early voting. So if you're somebody who feels really overwhelmed with political stuff in general or with this election coming up, you feel overwhelmed about how to decide who to vote for or how to figure out what a candidate's actual stance is on certain issues, then this episode is going to be for you. Here's my conversation with Sarah and Beth. Hey, Sarah and Beth, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, thank you. It's great to be here. I am like giddy with excitement um, to talk to y'all today because I have been listening to y'all and learning from y'all for the past couple of years. So before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, I want to ask y'all to just introduce yourselves so that way the listeners can learn a little bit about you and then recognize or know a name to a voice. So Beth, do you want to start just by kind of introducing yourself and um, telling the listeners what what y'all do? Sure. Well, I'm Beth Silvers and with Sarah, my partner of five years now, we make Pantsuit Politics podcast and the Nuance Life podcast. Pantsuit Politics, we publish two times a week. And our goal is to have the type of political conversation we haven't been able to find anywhere else, where we show up as whole people. We don't try to be representatives of the parties. We don't claim to be without bias. Uh, we are moms and friends and uh, people with law degrees and with career backgrounds. And we try to show up with all that stuff and be really transparent about it and talk through the facts as we understand them in a variety of situations and how we feel about those facts. So sometimes listeners will say that we're like America's political therapists because we do spend a lot of time just processing how the news makes us feel, what it makes us worry about, what it inspires us to do. 
And we really hope that whatever your political position, most people are going to characterize both of us as left-leaning at this point in the United States government's history. <laughs> um, but whatever your political leanings are, um, I hope that you can listen to our show and find something that inspires you to think more critically about your own position and your own work in the world. Yeah, I have to say, you talking about the political therapy, being over here in Germany, with just these last couple of years, and especially these last few months with everything going on, I don't have anybody here that I can like talk to any of this about. And so having y'all in my ears to process through all this has been so helpful to me. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, um, I'm Sarah Stewart Holland. I'm the other half of Paint Soup Politics. Um, everything best said about our work. Um, I'm the mother of three boys, an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 5-year-old. I also come from a family of educators. My Mother was a high school librarian. They call themselves media specialists these days. And um, my grandmother was a guidance counselor and an English teacher. And my great grandmother taught typing at our and business at our local community college. And my great aunt, I could just keep going, but I won't. Um, and so, you know, teachers, are, I'm very, very fond of teachers as a group and happy to be here. So this week we're doing a series all on racism and education and, and how it plays out. We've been talking this week about um, what we can do as educators, like more on a micro level, like things that we can be doing in our classrooms or um, in our schools. But what I want to talk with y'all about is kind of more of the macro level thing, um, voting and the things that we, like voting is a big way that we can affect change when it comes to racism and education. So that's what I want us to talk about today. and. I invited y'all on because through listening to y'all and reading y'all's book, I've learned about the power and the value of my vote. Um, and also just the revelation that you don't have to like vote down party lines, which I think is what we've all kind of been trained to do. So I want to start there. People, including myself, can still feel this, like my vote doesn't count. Um, you know, my vote doesn't matter, especially me, like coming from Texas, the idea that Texas is always going to go one way, so voting doesn't really matter. Sarah, do you kind of want to talk to that? Well, first of all, that's not true of Texas this year. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, Texas is very tight, polling very, very tightly, and is probably on the cusp of becoming, um, if not a blue state, most certainly a purple state. Um, I think what we say is our vote doesn't matter because we want our vote to be determinative. I mean, the truth is there were Wisconsin voters and Pennsylvania's voters who vote, whose votes very much were determinative. We're talking in the last presidential 60,000 votes across like three states. I think Michelle Obama had this great statistic during her talk that it was like two votes per precinct. But the other important thing is we don't just vote for president. We vote for lots of things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and often those races are not only um, tight, but incredibly determinative in our own lives, like very important, especially locally. Um, you know, teachers understand this, I think, better than almost anybody else, that um, the governor who picks the secretary of education in your state is incredibly important, and your local board of education is incredibly important. Um, even beyond the ballot, like just your, you know, at least your official election ballot, there's a ballot, you know, in Kentucky, we have these things called site-based decision-making councils, and they're incredibly important to the school. Um, because... I wish we could see it less as an individual pursuit and more as a community participation. And that is really important. You're not, we're not only important as individuals. 
we're important as members of our community. And I think we always have to keep that in mind when we're voting or when we're talking about politics, when we're participating in our local organizations. And again, I, I, I really think teachers understand and see that more profoundly than other professions because they're not just individual teachers. They're a part of this um, professional class of people that are you know, building our democracy day by day. I think public school is a foundational building block of a healthy democracy. And so I think just always keeping those kind of guiding principles in mind are essential. Beth, do you have anything to add? I would just add that some of the most consequential decisions that constrain teachers are made by people who don't have anything to do with education in their titles. Yeah. You know, legislatures passing testing requirements attached to funding, the way that teachers are evaluated, initiatives like Every Child, uh, No Child Left Behind, or Every Child Succeeds, or um, Common Core even, wherever you stand on those issues, which are recognized that the people making those decisions often have no background in education whatsoever, spend no time with actual teachers whatsoever. And those, those choices bear significantly on equity in education and particularly on racial equity in education. And so even as you think about beyond school board, secretary of education, the appointments that are made to education specific positions, we have to recognize that just up and down the ballot, we have people making choices about the allocation of money and the standards that we use to allocate that money that really drive what schools are able to do around equity. So one thing that I've been wondering a lot is like, I look at my ballot and I see like, to me, the only um, race that like really stands out to me as like, oh, this impacts education is the um, Board of Education, like whoever we're voting for there. But what are some of the other, Sarah, you mentioned some, but like, are there any others that we need to be paying attention to as educators? If this is something we want to see a change in, like what, um, what, positions do we need to be paying attention to when when we are voting? Well, listen, I mean, public school is taxpayer funded. There isn't an edge. I, I would argue there isn't a position that's unimportant when you're okay. determining how taxpayers money is spent, how tax taxes are levied. Um, what are the, you know, you can listen to the elected officials and hear what the priorities are for that money. Um, and what we've seen over the last decade is that the priority has not been education and that that has been a, a, a pot of money that they're more than willing to, to keep cutting and keep reaching into um, because we decided as a country that raising taxes is just the absolute worst thing that can possibly happen despite the fact that our needs are growing especially when it comes to public education. Um, so I think your representatives who you're going to send to Congress um, should, if your priorities for your community are to spend that money in public education, particularly state house representatives, state senate representatives, um, your governor who's gonna make those appointments. I think that those are, I, I would really argue that the state level is incredibly important okay. um, to education and to where that, how that money is spent. Um, but truly, I think it matters at the federal level too. I think we've seen really dramatic changes under Secretary um, DeVos under the Trump administration. And I think, you know, it's overwhelming because there's, you know, I'm not telling teachers anything they don't know that public education and how it's funded and how the standards um, come to pass is incredibly complicated because you're working at a, at a federal, state, and local level. Um, but that just means that there's also a lot of areas where you can impact that decision making. Yeah, just to 
to go big picture for a second, the reason that those state level offices are probably the most important place for your focus, although I agree with Sarah, there is not a position that doesn't impact education, but education is traditionally left to states to determine. And so your governor is going to have more impact on your school system in a state than the president of the United States, unless something dramatically shifts. Um, so the governor's ability to appoint state officials to education boards is going to be re very relevant to you as a teacher. And then all of those funding mechanisms typically exist at the state level, even federal dollars that come to the state for allocation among schools. So there are certainly aspects of federal programs that are terribly important to our schools. But I do think if you have kind of limited capacity, as all of us do, to focus in on particular races, that the state races are where you're going to get the best bang for your buck. But I would also tell you that your local races are important. And we see that especially with COVID-19, the ability of different school systems, school districts throughout states to get up and running depends a lot on your public health capacity in a particular district. It depends a lot on how your mayor is operating, what kind of local restrictions are in place and the partnerships the schools have with all those other public entities. And that's true whether it's a public or a private school. You know, all of those partnerships with other community entities are gonna be critical to keeping schools operating safely um, through a pandemic and through lots of other types of crisis. You know, we talk about gun safety. Th those partnerships outside of the school matter a lot. And so I wish I could say, like, this is the race where you get the most bang for your buck. Um, but it really is, it really is all encompassing. How do you, when you go, so like, I've been going to politicians' websites looking, you know, basically I went through my ballot and pick, pulled up like the Republican and the Democratic um, websites to see like where they stood on issues. But how do you like actually validate that that's going to be true? Like it, sometimes I feel like their websites are just there for show and don't really represent like how they're actually going to act in office. Well, I think that's 100% true in a lot of circumstances, and there are no guarantees about what someone will do when they're actually in office. What I would recommend as a teacher, if you're interested in education as a priority, is listening for people who actually bring it up. There's a lot of boilerplate on websites that gets negotiated by campaign operatives and interest groups. I think you know someone's going to really prioritize an issue if you hear them speaking about it. Do they bring it up in a debate if you're listening to a debate? Do they talk about it in their stump speech? Do they make an effort to reach out to teachers groups um, in your state? Like, do you see them in their actions as a candidate making education a priority? Would we see this just by, go ahead, Sarah. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, would we see this simply by just like going to their social media pages or because I'm thinking like that the average teacher is probably not spending like a ton of time engaging with um, politicians and, and like what they're saying and doing. So like just social media or what kind of stuff would like where would we look to see that? Well, I would say in a non COVID era. <laughs> that and i think there are still a lot of these taking place with social distancing and outdoors but like going to an event where the where the candidate is speaking and maybe especially a town hall where you can ask questions um because look websites are helpful but watching a human being up you know in person is 
that's what our brains are trained to do, right? Our brains are trained to see people and, and read a million subtle cues about whether we think this is something that's important to the person or not. I also think that there are a lot of um, interest groups that do advocate for teachers who do prioritize the things that are important to teachers. Sometimes there are local teachers unions or state teachers unions that can be helpful. Um, and sometimes there are national groups that if they prioritize um, a certain aspect of teaching, whether it's equity or common standards or whatever that you can look to that whose job it is to sift through all that stuff and to say, okay, these are the candidates we think we're going to endorse that we think are helpful. I think there's a lot of sort of shortcuts like that. I think people will feel overwhelmed quickly if they just start fishing through websites because those are, that's marketing material, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know how helpful that is. And so I think even if it's, even if you're watching a debate in person, or even if you're watching a debate over TV, but if you can get to an event in person, especially for state reps or state senators, those people are accessible. Honestly, you could message them over social media and say, I know my state house reps and my state Senate reps are really, um, uh, active on social media. So you could just message them and say, these are the issues that are important to me. Where do you stand on this? Um, especially like local board of education members. Um, but I would say um, if you can watch them interact in person, I always think that's helpful. And to look to groups that share your priorities, whose job it is to really sift through their policy positions for you. I never even thought about like going to unions websites because yeah. I mean, most teachers, they like pay into. Yeah. Um, that's what you're paying unions. for. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's for I, them to advocate for you. Yeah. Well, in some, in some like major metropolitan areas, you will have a, a newspaper with a reporter on the education beat. And so that's a good person to follow. Mm -hmm. Like, what are they tweeting about these candidates? What are they seeing? They are people you can reach out to and say, you know, what are you seeing on this issue? Can you direct me to some resources? Or can you ask this question? I've not heard it asked by anyone. So, you know, depending on where you are, you might have I know I'm thinking of in Louisville, Kentucky, there's a very good reporter from the Courier Journal who, who covers education issues. And she would be the first place I'd go if I were a teacher to see what candidates are saying. And that same like rule could apply to, you know, whatever, if education isn't the thing that you're like really passionate about voting on, but if it's something else, like that's a good, um, like you could use that across the board, really. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else when it comes to voting, especially this November, um, that we need to be thinking about, like everything we're hearing about racism right now is, you know, it being a part of this big system. Um, so are there any other things that y'all can think of that we need to, as teachers, as educators, like really be thinking about when we go to the polling booths? I think it's important to recognize that the dynamics on racism and our ability to eradicate racism, to make progress in the direction of eradicating racism, depend on a national climate where we're all speaking something approaching common language. And so I think it's important at all levels of office, again, to step back and say, who sets a tone where I feel like we can have a different kind of conversation? We just got a bunch of messages from people about um, Columbus Day versus Indigenous Peoples Day. And how do we have conversations in our community about this that are not just inflammatory culture wars? And I think a lot of that depends on the tone being set by elected officials across the board. And so while um, some people don't like to hear we vote on character, I think voting on character matters a lot 
around the issue of racial equity and making sure that, you know, our policymakers cannot solve every issue related to systemic racism. They can do a lot. Um, and those things that they can't do, they can establish a climate where the rest of us can do our work more effectively. Yeah, so we're going to switch positions here because that usually would be the argument I would make and Beth would be taking this hyper-local uh, perspective. So this is good. This, we'll mix it up a little bit, keep people <laughs> on their toes. Um, so I would say, um, particularly with issues of education, you know, the, your local board of education is hugely important. So I'm really proud of my local independent school system, um, Paducah Independent School System. So we're not a county system, we're the city system. And um, we're a very integrated school system. Um, we have a wide range of socioeconomic backgrounds and the school system itself um, is actually probably the opposite of the racial makeup of the city. So probably not quite that much. It's probably 60, 40 African-American to um, white and where the city itself is 20, 25% African-American. Um, and there's, there's, I asked my husband, who's the school board attorney, because um, I thought he would have some really good insight about the school board itself. So I think when you're voting in a school board race um, and your real equity is very important to you, I think diversity on the school board is, is essential. Um, have making sure that there is representation on the school board for the different um, socioeconomic and racial backgrounds um, present in the city is really, really important. But he made a really interesting point, which is, you know, sort of paradoxically, it's also, you know, our school board members are elected at large. We don't have precincts. Because when you get precincts, um, you can have a real competition for resources. So instead of everybody wanting the school, all the schools in the system to um, rise and fall together, you have the precincts with lower performing schools um, having to make the case for the resources, right? Whereas the, the upper property tax precincts <laughs> are gonna be making the case that they deserve the resources because they can't run their precincts. Um, so I, you know, I think that if, some, if equity is really important to you, not just looking at the candidates themselves and making sure that they're reflective of your district, but looking at this, the, the systems and the way that this, the, the elections run can be really impactful too. If you see precincts and you think they're um, working unfairly, start asking around to see um, what legislative changes would need to be made in order to maybe elect at large. I think that works really, really well in our school system. Um, and listen, diversity of socioeconomic background, diversity of experience is really important with school board members too. I think there's a sense of like, there's the right kind of school board member, but let me tell you something. We didn't mean to do this, but in my school system, our chair of the board of education is our local infectious disease doctor. I'm not even making <laughs> this up. It's insane. Every wow. morning, I think, I thank God, right? Like yeah. it didn't seem like an, it didn't seem like a really important background to have. Um, but maybe having someone with a healthcare background, we're realizing is a really important thing to have on a school board member. I'll tell you what, we feel like we're sitting real pretty with him as our board chair right now. Um, he's also just a really, really lovely man with lots of kids in the school system. So I think just, you know, taking a really holistic approach to candidates, to the board itself, to the way the board functions, to the way the elections are run, like keeping all that in, in sort of mind is really, really important. 
So I want to wrap us up with, I guess this might be a little bit more of a personal question too, but with everything going on in our world right now, um, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and it feels like almost every podcast I'm listening to, there's like a new thing to care about or to focus on or, um, you know, bad thing happening in the world. Like how, especially y'all two being in this on a daily basis, how do you decide what things that you're gonna focus on and what, um, like what you're gonna prioritize your energy on? Sarah, I'll ask you first, cause I know that like your personality is a lot like mine. I'm a number one on the Enneagram too. So I think you and I, like I would um, identify a lot with, you know, probably what you, what you would say. Well, so since you're on Enneagram one, you know that we're in the gut triad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so truthfully, um, I listen to my gut. I think what, what things are connecting with me, you know, I have a incredibly short attention span. So if I'm ready to like dive in deep on something, I know it's really important to me. If I'm searching for information instead of avoiding information, that's a really good sign that that issue is important to me. And I'm like everybody else, right? It's the stuff, you know, I would say a lot of it is what impacts me, but also I think I'm very motivated by fairness. So things about mm -hmm. equity, things about representation, just speak to me on a cellular level. And I, I like, I don't mind that cha challenging the status quo. And so things that are like about the system is broken. What are some really radical solutions? Like that just, my personality is like leaning all the way into stuff like that. Um, but I think, you know, instead of choosing every day what to pay attention to, I would say I just choose to pay attention every day. Does that make sense? Like instead of feeling like I need to sit down fresh and decide what the three most important things are, because I, you know, listen to the same 15 minute news podcast every morning, I get um, sort of a, a, a running narrative on what the top stories are of the day. And I, and I rack up a lot of information over time and over time, you know, the more information I gather, the more I can decide, like, this is something that's really important to me, or this is somebody else's work to do. But, you know, the reality is that it's just driven a lot by my gut and by what I, what my, what values really motivate me and what I have strong feelings about. No, I like that because like, I can listen to something and all, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is important. I need to focus on this. And then I listen to something else and it's like, oh, I need to focus on this. But I like what you're saying about like, just take time, you know, over time, kind of listen and figure out what, you know, what it is that continues to jive with you. Beth, what about you? Um, how do you handle that? Work through that? Well, I also agree with just paying attention every day and really reinforcing to myself every day that the country does not rest on Beth Silver's ability to get out <laughs> and do the work. Um, and instead, I need to think about where do I actually have something to contribute and what skills and talents and interests do I have? And that helps me direct my energy into actually being motivated by the news. But in terms of the stories that I really want to dive in on and spend a lot of time with, I am becoming, I've always been this, but I am um, maybe becoming extreme about it. I really care about process stuff. So I get messages all the time. Why don't you talk about the libertarian candidate for president? Why don't you talk about this other candidate that no one's heard of? And I think the answer to a system that is not just Democrats and Republicans is not me spending time telling you about the libertarian candidate. It's me spending time telling you about ranked choice voting. And the answer to a Supreme Court nomination that you don't like 
is not me telling you lots about why you shouldn't like that nominee. It's us thinking together about a more just Supreme Court format. And most of our issues, I think right now, when you talk about do people's votes count, that's where we need to talk about gerrymandering and we need to talk about the Voting Rights Act and we need to talk about how ballots are counted and distributed. So I'm just really kind of a fanatic right now about process stories because I think that's where the unfairness that gets to those outcomes Sarah was talking about originate. So when I think about where, where do I want to do a deep dive in my understanding, it's, it's on that side of things. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Will y'all tell, um, Sarah, I guess you can share where everybody can find you if they haven't connected with y'all yet, where they can connect with y'all and listen to y'all. Well, you can find our book. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening to Guide to Graceville Political Conversation. Wherever you get books, you can find our two podcasts, Pantsy Politics um, and The Nuance Life, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever platform uh, strikes your fancy. Um, we have a website, fancypoliticsshow.com, where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter and just learn more about us. And our, our probably our mo most active social media channels are Instagram or, and Twitter. So I do a news brief every morning on Instagram where I cover just sort of the top three or four news stories of the day. Um, and then Beth has got a very, very, very strong um, gift game on Twitter where she'll do long threads explaining court cases and all kinds of other stuff. So. The one y'all did with Schitt's Creek was awesome. <laughs> uh, we, we love that show deeply and profoundly. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we're on season five right now. So we're like trying to take it slowly. So much good luck with that. Ice. I definitely watched season six in one day. It's fine. Oh, really? Yeah. All in one day. It was out of control. Yeah. It's like, I, I needed my life back though. <laughs> I needed my life back back. Part of me wants to do that. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I want to enjoy it, you know, while I have it. That's how I feel. Savor it like a box of chocolate. Yeah. When I heard you talk about that, I guess, was it on Nightly Nuance where y'all talked about that and you said that and I was like, oh, that's such a good metaphor. <laughs> well, thank y'all so much for your time today. And thank you for just all the wisdom that y'all shared here and that y'all share um, each week on y'all's podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming along on this journey. If you want any more information about the ladies that you're going to hear on this series or anything that you hear that we talk about in these episodes, you can find all the information over on the simplyorganizedteacher.com forward slash mini. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Simply Teach. If you enjoyed it, I'd be so grateful to have you share it over on social media and tag me at the Simply Organized Teacher. Or you can head to wherever you are listening to this podcast right now and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. This episode was edited by the team over at Podcastology. Remember all the show notes, links to things we talked about, classroom organization resources, and all of the courses can be found over on my website, thesimplyorganizedteacher.com. Make sure to join my email list and get weekly organization tips straight to your inbox by heading to thesimplyorganizedteacher.com slash email. Y'all have a great week.